Yo, Jada from Twisted Sister, and you're watching Game Changers Live with Vicky. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, yay! So hopefully everybody's back. This is such a, you know, this is just such a pain in the neck. Uh, hang on, I got to mute. Yeah, you got muted. <laughs> this is, it opens a browser on Facebook, and then it's, we hear ourselves. So I just muted myself so I could... Don't ask. It's a, Eddie. Okay. I'm, I need a crew. I need to be back in the studio with yeah. people. You did it once before with my daughter working the camera in New York. Yeah, she you did know, a good job. She did. It. it was really funny when she turned the thing around. Yeah, the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It's still buffering on my computer, but I'm going to assume buffering. That it's like, buffering. It's like a, the aspirin. <laughs> it's, that's right. Like buffering. Okay, so they can hear us. I I see a yay. So hopefully, um, and now I'm changing it to public. I now I have to set a video that we're live so everyone will know. So Eddie, all right, we're starting over. I deleted the other video. So let's right. start from scratch. So all right. tell everybody why you moved to, to Nashville because we missed that. Basically, I moved to Nashville because uh, my son moved here first. How long ago did he move there? He moved here about five years ago. Yeah, and why nice. is, he, is he a musician, yeah. Eddie? He plays, but he's more of a tech geek, you know? Oh. That's what he does for a living. But he, he, he does like playing, he plays guitar. He was in, he's had a, some band stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not what he wants to do for a living, I think. So it's different. But after he had, a, a baby two years ago that was the deciding factor to move down here right. Plus, you know i wanted to change i was tired of the weather in new york the snow you know the weather here is much better the winters are very mild so right that right. was a big thing too because we're getting old okay so i just saw you had foot we're, surgery no we're getting vintage not old <laughs> Wait, i like that we're getting vintage so i like a that bottle of wine yeah so, <laughs> i like that much better Wait, and Much you don't, you don't really drink wine, do you? Do you drink? Yeah, I like wine. I you like wine. Okay, yeah. but you never had like a substance issue. No, I mean on the road, I some there was a few times I drank a little too much, but uh, you know I was able to control it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you. you, you know, were... I've had some stupid nights. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's rock and roll, man. You can't avoid it. Oh, I can't hear you now. I know. I just Can purposely you... muted again because I had to, we were buffering again. We're fine. So you had some stupid nights. Did it ever, did you ever like fuck up on stage because you were loaded? No, that's one thing for stage. Uh, I mean, there was a couple of times that I maybe drank a little bit too much before a show. But for the most part, I never really drank. Or, I, I used to like, like after the show, then you can celebrate. You know, you got plenty right. of time. Why do it, you know, before a show? I mean, just maybe a glass of wine just to feel more relaxed. Right. But, uh, and I used to have like beers on stage, but I barely drank them because I would have to piss. <laughs> so, yeah. It's true. And you're on stage for two hours, you, you know, you can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Not so, a I, I could only take little sips just to keep me hydrated. <laughs> the, the last song I would down the beer. Oh yeah. 
I would down both of them. I, there were two beers, and but they were like all warm and spilled. You look like you look better than I've seen you look in like thirty years. You look great. You look you look like you look like a, you look like a kid. You look like a, a kid rock and roller still. Well, thank you. I try. You know, I mean, I try to stay active. Like okay, so are you? If I remember this correctly, you're a bike rider. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Bicycle. Okay. Yeah. So are you bicycle? <laughs> right. Bicycle. Are you still? Are you riding? Yeah, very much so. I just did a pretty good ride today. Yeah. Uh, how, how's the weather down there? It's very hot in New York and stuff. It's how hot. It's, today's not that humid. It's like 90 degrees, but it's bearable. I mean, it was hot riding, but that's a good thing. You sweat a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a good thing. I, you know, when I bike ride, I just kind of forget about everything. I just go into another place. It's amazing. You know, so okay, it's really, so it's almost wait? like meditating, you know? I speed walk, meditate. How, how did you, what, what, did you always ride a bike? Was that always your passion? Yeah, I was always into it. I, one time, you know, I was racing bikes. I used to get into a few races. Wow. And I actually wanted to do it for a living, you know, for, for a while. Wow. But I had to choose between that and music because, you know, and at that time there wasn't the kind of the sponsors and the support. You know, right. to be get into like a Olympic bike riding or do the Tour de France, right? Of France. I mean, that's always a bike ride I wanted to do, but uh, unfortunately, it's <laughs> doing the music was a better choice because if you want to do it for a living, you got to really, you got to. It's a serious thing, and uh, like I said, the, the opportunity wasn't there. So, but I liked it that much. So were you always, uh, okay, so when you ride now, mm -hmm. how, how, how long will you ride? How much, how many miles? I try to do 10 miles. And how I used to do, that? I used to do like 40 miles uh, three times a week. Wow. Wow. I used to ride from the Bronx all the way to New Jersey and back. Okay, Bronx boy. You know, I'm a Bronx girl and I didn't know this about you. Where, where are you from in the Bronx? I used to live on the Grand Concourse. Me too. 174th Street. 780 Grand Concourse, right by the courthouse. Really? Because I, I was uh, the Lewis Morris building. Okay, I was only like seven when we moved away, but uh, right yeah. by Yankee Stadium. So you were further down. Yeah, you were down by 161st Street. That's correct. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of people, I lived there. We, I mean, I was raised in Manhattan, but we moved to the Bronx while I was still in high school. So I, I just kept going. I used to take the bus to school, but uh, where in Manhattan did you did did you grow up? Like 140th Street, and between Riverside Drive and Broadway. Wow! Basically, so you know, it was kind of the Heights, the beginning of the Heights, right? And maybe part of Harlem. It's <laughs> sort of in between. Yeah. It was a very uh, Latino neighborhood. In fact, I thought everybody was Puerto Rican and Cuban <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah, I didn't realize there were other people. But you were you were born here, yeah. I was born here, yeah. I was born in the Bronx in okay. St. Luke's Hospital. And so, because uh, we we got we got the good accent, we got we got we got that accent thing going on. So people people say that they, they say you sound like Al Pacino. I'm like, you you that. sound like Al Pacino. I never thought of that. You actually look a little like Al Pacino too. I get the Al Pacino, David. Uh, used to get um, Robert De Niro a lot. Sometimes. 
right. Al Pacino, okay. Robert De Niro, and John Travolta. Yeah. I watched a Travolta movie last night. We're going to talk about what you binge through the thing too. But wait, I want to go back to bike riding. So does this this keeps you in good shape? I assume that you're you didn't have it does. I mean it's it's not as intense as running, but running is you know it's low impact. So I you know I enjoy bike riding better because it's it's you have to it's good to work out where you don't feel like you're working out. Absolutely. You know, it's like you're just having fun and bike riding is that. So I don't think of it as working out, I just think of it as having fun. You know? I love that. So did you do it during the height of the pandemic? Were you still riding your bike? Yeah, in the summer. Because that, I mean, that was, there was nobody around anyway. So. And some of the bike trails, it's, it's so desolate, you know, there's not many people. Right. So there's a couple, there's a really nice trail here called the Bicentennial Trail. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's about 10 miles long. And, you know, it's just people walking and bike riding. So it's pretty safe. But, uh, so at the when the pandemic first hit, though, did you stay home? Were you were you in lockdown? Did you lock down? Yeah, but bike riding was outdoors, so I could do that, you know, right. without worrying. But yeah, it was locked down and wore a mask all the time when I went out. I was did very you, careful. Did you grocery shop or did you have stuff delivered? Well, what happened was they were doing these curbside things. So you could order your food and just pull up and then, you know, you text and let, they know you're there and they come out and put the stuff in your trunk. So it was like touchless, uh, which I kind of dig. I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's a couple of things like that that I didn't mind. Like, you know, I just drive up and they would bring, bring it to your car. Yeah. You know? So that they should keep. <laughs> well, they have out here. They, they have, have, yeah. Yeah. And there are people, I never did that. I was having everything delivered. The only drag was that not picking out our, my own produce. It was like, sometimes the produce was kind of gross. It yeah, you gotta be, yeah, that's, that's something you gotta be careful with. But you know, anything else that's boxed items and bread and stuff, that's easy to just pick up. It is. That, you know, that was, uh, I kind of, I dug it. I mean, I, and of course a lot of the, I mean, Amazon, Sheesh, they cleaned up. They definitely cleaned up with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything. I mean, buying everything from them. So are you going back into stores now? Yeah, yeah. What's it like in Nashville? Is Are, are you wearing no more masks? What's going on there? Um, yeah, they stopped wearing masks. I mean, there's still some people that it's their choice. Right. That aren't vaccinated. I think what sometimes when people see you wear a mask, they think you're not vaccinated. Oh. which is not the case, I think. Right. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, I don't wear a mask because I'm vaccinated and I feel like I'm pretty safe at this point. Are you going, have you gone to like a movie theater yet or a club? Yeah, I, I went to see In the Heights, you know. Okay, all right, so tell me, so how, what do you think? How was it? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I think it was a pretty awesome movie. You know, I, I mean, I, that's where I grew up. Yes. So, and I went to high school, George Washington High School. So I know that neighborhood really well. So, uh, and even like the, the pool, I remember that pool, uh, High Bridge Pool, and where they did some of the filming. And, you know, if you're Puerto Rican, it's like you have to watch it. You know, it's like, it's uh, <laughs> mandatory. It's required viewing. Yeah. It's required. Did you see Hamilton? 
I saw it when it was on Disney Plus. I even uh, I finally got to see it, and it was pretty also pretty cool. I kind of like uh, In the Heights a little better, the music wise. Really? Yeah, but they're oh. both they're both awesome. I feel bad that uh, Lin Manuel got a bad rap for not you know not being uh, you know versatile enough or showing enough. I thought he did a great job as far, as far as showing the different types of Latin people, not just people say he didn't show enough Afro Latin people. Really? And yeah, which I think, I mean, you know, especially Puerto Ricans, it's a rainbow race. You know, you, you have people that are, you know, blonde, blue eyes to people with, you know, dark. I mean, it's just so he represented very well. And, but, you know, people just love to say something yeah. negative yeah so. so how was it being in a movie theater again it was nobody it's like it's like five people there i really? went it was a matinee and i went from the first day it came out you know i got a support right and i wanted to see it in the theater even though you could watch it on hbo max right i had to have the big theater with the sound and uh oh. there was maybe it was the first day the first showing right uh, when it came out. So there was maybe another eight people in this big theater. So it was pretty oh empty. I'm it, was like still... a, it was like a private showing. Uh, okay, so uh, Lee Sklar is saying hi, by the way. Okay. Uh, so, hey, Lee. So are you um, are you eating in restaurants? Are you back to doing everything? Yeah, I'm taking it slow. We, we just went to a restaurant last this week with my son. I, I kind of we didn't get together for Father's Day, so I got together with him on Tuesday. But I think a lot of people had the same idea. <laughs> like, oh, instead right. of doing it on the day, you do it a few days later or before. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, the restaurants are pretty crowded. And downtown, like, it's, you know, you would never tell. It's just packed. Wow. It's a little too soon for me to go into big crowds, you know. But, I mean, it's it's back to normal, so... At least it's great, especially a lot of musicians here that have to play live. That's what they count on for a living. And so you is know. all of that going on again? Or all the national Yeah, it's clubs? all on. It's all on. My, oh. my son was down there. For, you know, he went for uh, to hang out with a couple of friends last week, and he, he, they said it was packed. Wow. Wow. Really packed, and yeah. what is his, um, what is his, uh, you said he's a techie. What is his uh, area of expertise? He's a writer, so he writes a lot of technical uh, stuff for the, you know, for Asurian. He works for Asurian. It's, it, you know, he's very good at writing, he, like stories and stuff like that. He was an right. English major. Uh, he kind of like really did well with that. So, you know, they put him into that. So he does a lot of writing for them. For who? Asurian. It's they're they they're like Verizon insurance company cool and so the music scene is just something that he does for, for fun for fun because yeah. he's practical and he has a, a baby and he is a grown-up right but you know he's a really good writer as far as he's got some great stories that i i tell him get, you know you know write a script and i'll yeah i'll send it I, I know people that but he always just doesn't follow i get him to do something soon because he's got a couple of really good stories that he came up with that's excellent and is it yeah. a granddaughter or a grandson that you have 
grandson. A grandson. Well, I'm so happy for you. And so, and your daughter's in, is she back working on sets? Yeah, again? she's working. Yeah. Cause they, they check them every day. Even during the pandemic, they were tested every day. Like the right. quick test. Right. And they were wearing masks and doing everything. So she was pretty busy. And now it's like off the hook busy. Well, and, and she didn't get sick during that. No, she never got it. Thank she God. Got it. So, okay. That's really good. She and was out there. She, she works on, she worked on a lot of big films, you know. Is she on something specific right now? Um, I think she's doing another thing on Netflix. A lot of Netflix shows. That's good. And they're good um, to people. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I know she did the Godzilla. She worked on that. She worked on the new Fast and Furious, nine. number nine. Mm-hmm. Number nine? Yeah, number nine. Nine, yeah. <laughs> so... Remember that number nine? Number nine. Oh yeah, it's a Beatles thing. Yeah, maybe somebody will figure that out. <laughs> so the yeah, you know, I saw Will Lee and those guys and Jimmy Vivino do that the whole White Album, and they did that that whole thing exactly note for note as it was on the album, which was great. I think I saw that. Did you? With the the Fab Four, right? Yeah, the Fab Four. Yep. Yeah, they do a great job. I like the way they they say because they have a lot of guys in the band. It's like 12 guys. They said it takes 12 guys to copy <laughs> to do the, the Beatles, Beatles song. <laughs> Did you have, you have like a Beatles story with the Beatles. I'm thinking that the Beatles were kind of your, was it, was that what got you motivated to get into Definitely, music? definitely. I was one of those, you know, the Ellis Sullivan show, the Beatles, a lot of guys, uh, I changed everybody's life. So it was one of those things that, and I actually met John Lennon once. That's my oh. Beatles story. Okay, let's hear it. All right. This is like, I was in the record plant. I was recording with this guy named Joe Sylvia. He wrote Things Go Better with Coca-Cola. Remember that song? Of course. So he made like a gazillion dollars for that, doing that. So okay. he, got, he got into producing and I was in a band called SPX at the time. Right. And we were actually in the same studio and John Lennon was in the next studio doing, uh, the woman, I think the the album Women's of the World or something. Anyway, he was doing his new album that was to be released. So, but I never thought I'd meet him maybe in the hallway or something. So right. you know, I'm standing there listening to a, a playback and this guy comes up right next to my face. And I think he just liked freaking people out. <laughs> so, you know, and I had smoked a little something there. You know, yeah. So I was like in the, in the, <laughs> With my eyes closed, listening to the movie, all of a sudden somebody says, hey, are we in Studio A or Studio B? And I was like, I don't know. I said, oh, shit. Like, all of a sudden I look, it's like, oh, my God, John Lennon's in my face. Holy shit. So I, I, I just went, I don't know. We're in this studio. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And he walks out. I'm like, holy shit, that was John Lennon in my face. <laughs> And I said, I know I'm going to make it now. John, I'm in the same studio with John Lennon. He just came up to me. Holy so, shit. And it was a you, quick thing. You know, okay, so you said you're a guitar player. Was, was John your favorite Beatle? Is, I mean, what was Actually, it? Paul was my favorite Beatle. For, even though he played bass. And of course, I really liked Harrison. You know, but for some oh. reason, I kind of... Uh, I was kind of more of the, everybody had their favorite Beatle. I don't know if you had one, but. Uh, 
George was my favorite, actually. And I don't know why I asked if John was yours, because you're a lead guitar player. So, of course, I would assume that George would he be. He was my second favorite. Well, I don't know. Lennon was, I kind of like them. It's hard not to like them all, isn't it? Yeah, I just, yeah, I like all of them. I mean. So, so did you, did, is that when you started playing, when, after you saw the Beatles? Well, that's when I got more serious. You were already I was, playing? I was already playing. I think I was like 14 or 15. Wow. And I had like. What huh? started you playing? Well, that's, I always liked guitar. And, you know, I had like a toy guitar that my father gave me. But then I ended up buying, you know, an electric guitar, like a cheap electric on, in Times Square. It's uh -huh. like $40, $40. I still have the guitar. It was made in Japan. Yeah. Cheap guitar, but it was good enough to learn on. You uh -huh. know, and uh, after that, uh, you know, I said, let me go buy a real guitar I can play. And so I started playing seriously. And then I got into band, started getting into bands, working with different guys, and eventually just took it more serious, you know? And that's, I would definitely say they inspired me to do that. And so many people, that changed their, a lot of people's lives that performed when they came Absolutely. to America. Because I'm not the only one. Um, it's just one of those things. It really was that that impression it gave everybody. So the first bands that you were in, Eddie, um, what kind of music were you playing? Like at the beginning when you first started playing? Well, when we first started, it was kind of Buffalo Springfield uh, meets the Beatles or something. I, it wasn't heavy, heavy, but... Right. And... Uh, but it was rock. It was more like Crosby, uh, Stills, and Nash, but yeah. a little heavier. And then we started, you know, a lot of people said, because everybody in the band was Puerto Rican, you know, so they said, why don't you guys, and Santana was big at the time. Right. So then we just started adding like congas and more of a Latin feel into the songs. And I had wrote, written a song that was very kind of Santana-ish. And that's so we, we sort of became a Latin rock band, but with Beatle harmonies, which right. is, because we were, everybody sang. So we had great harmonies and uh, it was just, unfortunately, you know, we got close to getting signed with Don Kirshner, but a couple of people messed it up for us, which happens, so. And was this, uh, was this, were you, was you already Silver Star? No, you weren't Silver Star yet. No. No. Um, so, okay, so what happened? So I know you went to college though. Yeah. Yeah, Wolf's Community College. I was a music major. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was good friends with JJ, John, John French from the band. Right. Mm -hmm. And we always had different bands we were in and I would come with stuff to play at his house that I was working with. And he would have stuff that he played with me, that he, bands that he played with, but we never thought that we, be in a band together. Um, but then when the band broke up, uh, the, the first version of Twisted Sister, he, he got, he called me up and said, hey, do you want to be in the band? I said, that sounds cool because I wasn't in a band at the time. And, you know, we got together and it, obviously it worked out. Yeah, and pretty well. Eventually we got to be in the band and that's when, uh, things sort of changed. We got into a heavy thing, 
Okay, we so played... before D came into the band, who was the front man? Who was the fr who was the front man? Was it you? At that time, at that time, there was there was just four of us. Right. And we were taking turns singing lead. It was me, uh, Kenny, the bass player, he, you know, he, and JJ would do all the Lou Reed stuff because he's more of like a Lou Reed vocalist, you know. Right. <laughs> The more of a talk vocalist than a vocalist vocalist. So the Lou Reed stuff worked out for him, but then all the other stuff, like um, either myself or Kenny would do it. And it was started to be a strain. And we weren't, we were booking gigs, but you know, there's a company called CTA and this guy called Kevin Brenner. He was booking us. He said, you know, you guys should get a lead singer. I know this guy who's in a band called Peacock. Peacock. So, so um, we tried him out and he was really into Zeppelin at the time and so were we. So when he joined, we started doing all this Zeppelin one stuff, you know, communications breakdown and, uh, you know, good, good times, bad times. We did a lot of Zeppelin songs, Days of Confused. And it really sounded, really worked out good. We were like a little Zeppelin band for a while. And, and what uh, kind of venues were you playing then? Eddie? Clubs. Uh -huh. you know, like clubs all over Long Island, mostly in the suburbs. Because in, uh -huh. in New York, in the city, they didn't really have clubs that bands could play in. Like, you know, they just, the bars were bars. They had jukeboxes or DJs or whatever. This was in the early 70s? This is the 70s. early? 70s. Yeah. So, yeah. 1976 is when we sort of started. Mm -hmm. We had this whole bicentennial thing. We used to put all the flags and stuff on stage. and. <laughs> It worked out, you know. It, so how it, it did okay, so then so then D started playing with you and how did you how did you start doing originals and how did you start getting into metal? Well, we 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 started covering as far as a band. Once D was in the band, he wanted to do more of the hard rock stuff, like Aerosmith, Mappa Hoople, you know, Zeppelin. So you know, a bad company. So we started doing stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it just eventually, you know, we said, well, we wanted, our whole mindset was let's play five, four or five nights a week so we can do this and we don't have to get day jobs, which was always my way of doing it. I thought if you want to make it, you can't just do it part time. You got to really jump into it. Right. So this allowed us to, and then we started writing songs that really worked out and, uh, Eventually, we start adding more more originals. Like at first, it was, you know, ten percent. Then it was twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. You know, we started started doing less and less cover stuff because people really liked the original stuff. And were you getting bigger venues, or was it still about the same? Yeah, we got we, we got all the big venues. We I mean, oh. we became one of the biggest bands on the whole tri-state area. I mean, we used to get we could get five thousand people in a club on a Wednesday night. Wow. Same yeah. thing with Hammerheads. Wherever we played, it was packed. packed. Like it was, by the time we showed up, there was a line all the way down. You know, it just be, we became like a tri-state, just one of those things. Everybody would, uh, so, you know, everybody wanted to book us because they knew their club would be packed. And were you guys making good, were you making decent money? Was, it, was your money going up as all this was happening? Yeah, we were making pretty good money mm -hmm. for those days. You know, and then uh, how how did you guys break through? How did it start to escalate? 
Well, eventually when we got signed, you know, we were able to just do originals completely. And we were still playing the big clubs like Speaks and the Fountain Casino. I mean, these were huge clubs. They could get 2,000 people. Right. So, you know, we played all over the big clubs, night after night, all over the tri-state, 100-mile radius. And, you know, once we got signed, then we went. We found out that in England, we were, like, huge. There was tapes of us all over England. And people said, uh, you guys should come to England. So then we came to England, and that's when uh, a lot of things took off for us. We, first of all, we got signed by a company called Secret Records. So they took us to England, and we recorded the Under the Blade album. Uh-huh. And we did Which, very well in England. Tell, tell everybody, uh, I know that Tipper Gore thought that that was um, violent, based on violence, but it, tell us what it was actually about. It's about me getting surgery. <laughs> not very sexy it had nothing to do with S&M that was in her mind right maybe she wanted it to be S&M but did you did you listen to the lyrics you know I mean just because you say under the blade it's, it's not about chopping somebody up alive you know it's stupid shit I mean people can just and it's funny because I, we almost voted for him when, when he ran I think I voted for him which I never thought I would but that whole thing got so blown out, and all it did was make... It was crazy, all those obscenity trials and everything. All it did was make it, people want it more. Yeah, Kids were cool. looking for albums that said parental advisory. <laughs> right. I want that one. <laughs> all you did was make it better. You know, you, what, did, what did you try and accomplish? I mean, to blame some of the stuff people blame on heavy metal or hard rock, it's just so stupid. And I think if they took time to listen to the lyrics, <laughs> they would realize not just because you hear a title, you know, that you, but, oh, that's evil. Yeah. Really, you know, so. Okay, so let's get back to the band. So, yeah. so you got signed. Uh, the the venues are. Uh, do, were you guys an overnight sensation? Was it a slow build? Was it what it happened? Was it an overnight sensation? Definitely. I mean, once people hear about you, that's what they think. But it was a 10-year right. overnight sensation. Right, right. I mean, and when we got signed to Secret Records, they kind of went belly up. So we had to find another label. So then we had gone back to America. We were playing clubs. And then we got invited to do this show called The Tube, which had, uh, it was like a really big show in England. It was almost like American Idol or one of those kind of shows. Right. And you know, we played there and Lemmy from Motorhead, the guys from Motorhead came up and jammed with us. And that's when Phil Carson, the president of Atlantic Records, he was with Mick Jones from Foreigner. Mm -hmm. And Mick Jones said, hey, I want to stay and watch this band because I hear every time I'm, because he has a place in New York, uh -huh. every time I'm on the radio, I hear about this band playing in all these places. So I want to, I want to see them. So then Phil Carson, who was the head of uh, Atlantic Records, the president in right there in the UK, you know, he signed a few like successful bands like ABBA, uh, ACDC, Yes. Hello. Uh, you know, Foreigner, you know, you know, a few, some mild success bands, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he saw us and he, right the next day, they offered us a record deal. Wow. And we signed up with Atlantic. We actually got three offers. So, um, but we decided to go with Atlantic Records. 
And so when, and that, okay, so that, after that, that's when we sort of went back to the States. You know, um, the first we did Can't Stop Rock and Roll album, we recorded that in England. But until we did Stay, Stay Hungry was the album that just blew up, blew us yeah. up, you know. And uh, that's how it happened, you know. Atlantic, you know, we started touring with bands in, in the States, uh, like Blackfoot. And we did a tour, a tour for, in, in, uh, for, for Stay Hungry, the Stay Hungry album was selling like 50,000 records a day. Unbelievable. Yeah. And You're, then, that, we're not going to take it has 125 million views on yeah. YouTube. I've never seen anything like it. It's crazy. Well, there's, um, there's a couple of other people in the billions, um, but I'm not complaining. We've got a lot of views. I mean, it's just one of those anthem rock songs. They just, they don't get old. Songs like that will be around. They just last. It's I also a great video. I've been at a baseball game and all of a sudden we're not going to take it comes over the thing, <laughs> you know. Yes, it is an anthem. Well, also a lot of uh, political causes have used it. And, a lot, and yeah. do, do they, okay, so I know there's another issue because I know that D took sole writing credit for all of your music. Yeah. So uh, I guess that when it gets played in stadiums and stuff, you don't see any money from that. No, we all get royalties because we played on it. Okay, but you don't get the the, the writer share. No. Right, right, right. But you all get playing royalties, right? Yeah, definitely. It's okay. not. It's yeah. Not, yeah, it's not a total screwing. <laughs> Yeah, um, because you were a huge part in... in the well, the whole thing about, and somebody else asked me about that. Obviously, I wrote all my guitar solos. I came up with guitar parts. You know, every band is different. Eddie Van Halen wrote 90% of the stuff, but he shared it. It was his thing to say, hey, I'll split the publishing four ways, which is right. the right thing to do, you know, because... You know, I, I know I added a lot of stuff and I wrote all my own solos. Uh, you right. know, so you get writing credit and a lot of my solos are theme solos. So right. they're big parts of the song because they're, you know, they're like a whole separate melody. Of course. But, you know, at the time, Dee said, well, the guy who writes the melody is a songwriter. And, you know, I, I wasn't about to argue about it. I, you know, I, we were doing so well. I just said, you know, okay. It didn't stop me from creating stuff. You know, and obviously there was a lot of things that, you know, I feel I should have got writing credit for that I didn't, but that's what happened. That's the way it went down. And, uh, you know, the truth is, no, now how can one person write all the, if you're not even a guitar player, how could you say you wrote all the music? You know, you didn't write my guitar solos. You didn't write my how how would he write? How did he write? Since he's not a player, how did he write the music? He was very good at singing it to me. I see. And I was very good at executing what he was singing. And until, you know, he would just sing it to me and I would be able to play it. And that's how that happened. Because he could play guitar, but not really, you know, it was kind of brutal, you know. He didn't. He just knew a few chords, but he would just sit, do single. He knew exactly what he wanted. He would put it on a tape and listen to it, and he was very good at explaining it. And my daughter's very good at that too. Some people 
some singers are very good at explaining what they want. Mm -hmm. And he did write the melodies and he did write all the lyrics. And he, he's a great lyricist. And he did write all the melodies. I'm not going to take that away from him. But, you know, when you're coming up with parts like, you know, little stuff here, solo parts on the, you should get some writing credit. Well, especially right? when they become iconic parts of the song, of course. Yeah, but it didn't happen. It's kind of a sore area. Did you ever ask back in the day for it? No. You know, we were do. I, I didn't want to upset the apple cart. We were doing well. Everybody, we were all making money. I mean, I just didn't. I figured, okay, well, he'll make a little more because of this. I didn't realize it's more than a little more, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so I didn't fight for it. Maybe I should have. But uh, like I said, I didn't, things were going well. He was coming up with a lot of good suggestions, you know, for videos and stuff. And he's a very creative person, D. I mean, I'm not saying that he did come up with a lot of great stuff and a lot of great melodies. But, you know, as far as getting him on guitar and playing him with the parts, I definitely, he needed our help, you know, definitely for myself and even AJ too, the drummer and the other bass, the bass player, Mark. You know, we, we definitely came up with, I know I came up, I was the one that had to figure out everything and sort of teach right. it to everybody. And you didn't and get any more money for that, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. No. So, no, I Eddie, didn't. When, when did it go from playing clubs to playing? I mean, you guys, it seems like you just catapulted into like stadium rock. I mean, how did that happen? What was it sudden? Was it what? No, it was gradual. I mean, you know, we toured with Iron Maiden when the Stay Hungry album was. And we did a whole, all of Canada and all of the United States with them. And that's when the band broke big, you know, on MTV and everything. So you could say that catapulted our career, but it was, it was partially the album, MTV, and then going on a tour with, with Maiden. And uh, that's when we blew up. So the, the video with Mark Metcalf from Animal House, the Niedermeyer character, that, that was a pretty brilliant conception. Was that, was that Dee's idea? Pretty much, yeah. He came up, him and Marty Kellner, the director. Mm -hmm. um, they came up with the whole storyboard and everything. Like I said, he's a very creative guy, you know. Not everything he came up with worked out, you know, but we always gave it a try. He, you know, he came up with a lot of good stuff. He was... He's a very talented man. So was when you guys traveled and toured and, and recorded, was there a hierarchy or were you, did you feel like you were a band? No, we were a band. I mean, lead singers are always, you know, lead singers. They, they like, they have a disease, like <laughs> LSD. It's called lead singers <laughs> disease, you know. <laughs> they all have it. Uh, there's something, I don't know what's wrong with all of them. Even the one, guys that aren't even famous just have that, you know, like, you know, sometimes I see, I meet somebody in a club band or a cover band and the lead singer is like, a, he thinks he's Robert Plant, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, dude, you're not famous. You know? <laughs> you're in a bar and you're trying, you know, you're imitating Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Give me a break, man. 
that's very funny. How did how did the makeup start? How did the whole glam rock thing happen? That, that came back because we had stopped doing that because the whole Bowie thing was kind of. Well, wait. You know, how did it start the first time though? How did you guys? Well, it came off the Bowie, you know, about the hoople kind of that whole scene, the glam rock scene, and. Um, who made the decision to do it? Was it D who said, okay, let's do well, this? Well, the band did it. The, the, second ver, the second version of the band, which is the band that made it. Right. With me. Um, we weren't wearing makeup. And then D said, we should wear makeup, bring that back. It's still cool. And we said, okay, let's try it. And it did work. Like I said, he, you know, he had a lot of good ideas. At first, I didn't know if it was going to work because the, the glam rock thing wasn't really. Was Kiss? Were you? Did you guys do it before Kiss? No. The, well, okay. during this at the same time. Okay. Uh huh. You know, because um, they were they had already made it, Kiss, and you know, we, so they were still doing the makeup, and so some bands were doing it, you know, and then we decided to do the makeup, but. The makeup was more like war paint. It wasn't really glammy, you know. Right. Yeah, and you had lines. Yeah. Yeah, I did the lines. It was like an Indian, like a Native Indian, Native American kind of thing. That's the kind of look I, I was trying to be like the Indian, like you know, the village people had all these people. And I, I'm not comparing us to the village people, but I guess I was the Indian. And, you were and, the Indian. <laughs> he was the creature, like he was the the gene. <laughs> did D, when you first started playing? Did D not wear all of that? Did he not have all of that going on? It gradually got more and more where he got into like that whole makeup. It, it was something that evolved, you know, for all of us. At first we did it sort of glammy. Right. But, you know, we're all big guys. It didn't really fit like glammy. Like people <laughs> would meet us and they're like, oh shit, you guys are big, man. You know? <laughs> Especially we had the boots on, we're like, like towering over everybody, you know, so. Um, we just, it just got into more of like war paint, which I think that's what really worked when we started doing that look instead of trying to be a glam rock band. You know? Right, because you weren't Bowie and Lou Reed. You weren't the FM, you know, they weren't feminine no, men. No. Yeah, you were big I mean, guys. I always say I was, it was easy for me to be the, the cute guy in Twisted Sister. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I've the told competition, you. you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> The uh, um, I don't know if I've told you this, but when I was a comedian in the eight in the early eighties, my before picture was Dee Snyder, like that, because I I would say that you know I was this Jewish girl and I dyed my hair blonde and I got a nose job and I did this and here's my before picture and it was Dee in all of his glory. That was my before. Anyway. Yeah, Christina Aguilera sort of stole his look for that. <laughs> so. Have you a bell version song that he did? <laughs> so how so did you guys oh, there's always a little hierarchy, but was there trouble? Was it tumultuous? I mean, I know you guys broke up a couple of times, but when you were at the height of things and things were yeah. great and you were playing like stadiums and everything's wonderful, were you getting along or was there a lot of in-house fighting and stuff? I think we got along pretty well. I mean, it's always every band has like, you know, they, it's clashing moments. I mean, you're with four other men traveling all over the place, you know, right. missing home, uh, you know, 
and the egos are there and there's always some arguments but i don't think we ever deeply hated each other like some bands do you know yeah. i mean you know we got pissed off at each other but i don't i don't think we we never got into the hate thing you know uh, which is good because it made it easy but obviously every band has a band that doesn't have that but there's some guys that can't stand each other can't even be in the same room Right. You know, some bands stay at different hotels. It's that bad. You know, we never got to that point. And, you know, we had some arguments, but it was never, and nothing ever happened that was really messed up. You know, so it was pretty good, I got to say. So why did you guys, the first time you guys broke up, uh, what happened? Why? Well, we had just come back. We were on tour for the uh, Love is for Suckers album, mm -hmm. which wasn't, you know, wasn't doing the numbers we expected it to do. And we're out on tour, and it wasn't going as well as we expected, and we sort of cut the tour short. And right after that is when we never really technically broke up. We just stopped. You know, the, you know, sent a thing that said, they quit the band first. You know, that's what, what happened. Then after that, we just, you know, we didn't think about getting another singer or something. It's just one of, I, I don't think Twisted would work with another singer. Mm -hmm. I see somebody like D, he's just, a, you, know, it's, you know, he's a very unique performer. He um, certainly is. <laughs> you know, just like, uh, He's, it's, he, I just never thought, we never thought about doing it without him. The Rolling Stones can't go without Mick Jagger. It just, yeah, it's just yeah. One of, I mean, Mick Jagger's tried to do things on his own and it didn't right. work out. Mm -hmm. You know, some, some guys can do it, but some guys can't. They, you know, they're cursed to just be stuck with their band. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they want to play small clubs or something like that. They can't go out and do the arenas and stuff. I mean, right. I think even David Lee Roth had some problems on his own. I uh, and, and Van Halen was so huge. And I think when they split up the first time before they got Sammy Hager, you know, they, he went out on his own for a while with a super band, you mm -hmm. know, with all these great players like Steve Vine mm -hmm. and Billy Sheen. But it just, you know, he did one tour and that was it. I couldn't yeah. do it again. And then yeah. eventually Van Halen got Sammy Hager and... That was a tremendous uh, success for them. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to replace somebody. Uh, and I think with D, he was really the face of the band. You know. So, Eddie, what were you doing when you when when you guys kind of dissolved? Uh, Suffer, suffering. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I I can't even imagine after you're playing arenas and stadiums and MTV and it yeah. was. So what was life like when, when you guys weren't playing anymore? Well, it was pretty devastating. I mean, we all had to get regular jobs. You know, it sucks, especially so what after- what did it look like for you? Huh? What did it look like for you? What, what, what kind of regular job were you doing? I was doing tech support for, uh, you know, because it was all computer. So I wasn't right. going to get a job trying to lift the furniture for like you know, a moving company. So I found something I could, okay, I could do stuff for computers. That's fine. You know, it was a tech job. So, and I, you know, I like computers and all that tech stuff. So it was pretty cool that 
I was able to do that for a while. And I, at the same time, I was in a wedding band that was very okay, well known. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you about, because this is the part of your story that trips me out more than anything, that like people get married and there is part of Twisted Sister in their wedding band. So how, what was that like? It was pretty cool. I mean, you know, people wanted to, they would, it was a good selling point. That, by the way, this guy's in the band, you know. So, you know, we used to do Twisted songs for them. Oh my! I had to do a couple of Twisted Sister songs at these weddings, and they, you know, they loved it. Oh my God, so, that's so crazy! And it was, it was a great band, great guys, and uh, they were like big in the circuit. I mean, we th that we had lights and a road crew. You would think it was like a rock band. Some of the when a wedding band gets to a certain level, it's it's big, you know. And they were, you know, we were making good money. So once again, that's the only circuit I hadn't played. So I could say I've played. Every wedding circuit, every bar circuit, every you know, every, the stadiums. I've. I don't think there's anything that I haven't played. As far what, as what's the biggest con concert that you guys that you've done? What was like um, the, the biggest I, audience you've played for? The biggest venue? The biggest something? I think it was probably um, grass. No, was it grass pop? I think grass pop was like three hundred fifty thousand people. Holy shit. It's in Belgium. Yeah. And, and we were headlining. We had that's another thing. When we came back, we had we, we were headlining. We weren't open, we weren't on half, we were headlining all the festivals. Wow. So we were bigger than ever. You know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what is that like the first time you walk out on like a stadium stage and you're is that crazy? It didn't, it didn't suck. It didn't <laughs> suck. I, I mean it was it's great. I, I actually feel more comfortable in front of a hundred thousand people on a stage on a big stage than I do in a club. Like sometimes when I jam in a club, I'm more like uptight because everybody's like right in your face. You know, it's like so. Right, right. So and yeah, how did it was, your, it was great. How did your signature guitar come to be? I mean, wow. I mean, I love it. Yeah, that was another thing that just happened by accident. It was. Our logo has a bullseye in it, if you look at the logo. And we, we had these amps with, and we used to paint pink circles around the speakers. So, you know, this company, Charvel Guitars, just started, and they were doing custom guitar paint jobs. So I told them, listen, I wanted a guitar with pink and black circles, and they sent me the bullseye. And people flipped out over it. I, I never thought it was going to become this iconic thing. You know, it's almost, it's a really well people that don't 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 know my name know that guitar. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's the guy in Twisted Sisters guitar, you know. So I never thought it would become such a big deal. But eventually, apparently it did. That was the first bullseye guitar ever. And uh that's how that Somebody happened. ripped you off though, didn't they? Yes. We won't go into that. We won't talk about that. Okay. They know who they are. Yeah. And, it, and it wasn't just that they ripped off, you know, because we also, you know, we were the first band to come up with the motorcycle jacket thing with the band's name on the back, you know, RB for rock band instead of MC for motorcycle club. So that got ripped off by a couple of bands from mm. New Jersey. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Okay, we'll leave it at that. So how they you know they were, some of them stopped because they knew it was so blatant and some of them still continue to do it. And, but eventually a lot of people found out that 
they were ripping somebody off, another band off. So it's karma. Karma is karma. Yes, karma is right. karma. So okay, so then you guys got back together, and I I believe it was it was nine eleven, right? That got you guys back together. What happened? Well, yeah, we did a benefit um, for nine eleven because the. They had one at Madison Square Garden, but somebody said that we were too inflammatory, like a like a like a hemorrhoid. So <laughs> too inflammatory. You know, so. so then we said, okay, we'll do our own benefit. Uh -huh. Policeman and firemen. And we did it at um, the I forgot the name of the place. Pretty nice venue. I think it holds like five thousand people. And we did it with Ace Freely. Um, anthrax we had anthrax on the build which was kind of strange but uh and they wore a suit saying we're, we're not changing our name like each guy had a, a letter yeah, a anthrax is not the band you would think of for 9-11 yeah, for 9-11 it was anthrax ah. yeah so oh they my. were on the bill too but you know we headlined it and uh well how did how did you guys it had been what uh, three years for it had been a few years right so how did you how did the conversation start to even come together again well after 9-11 eddie trunk was a friend of the bands mm -hmm. i think he approached uh one of the guys in the band said hey you know let's do our own benefit you know uh and that's how it started and we said, yeah, definitely, we'll do our own benefits since they don't want us to do the one in Madison Square Garden. You know, they, they invite us. So even though we were willing to do it, and that's how that came out. And it was a, it was an amazing show. I mean, it really did very well. We raised a lot of money for, for them. Mm -hmm. Sold out, you know. And that started the whole thing about, oh, maybe we should get back together again. And all these offers started coming in because the show was so successful. And, you know, there was people who took videos and it was just circling all over the place and there was a big right. buzz. And that's how eventually we said, okay, well, yeah, let's get back together and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what started it. But that's what it took, I guess, a tragedy for us to get back together, unfortunately. And so how was the energy in the, and then you guys kind of got bigger than ever. Weren't you like, like right, you exactly. had like a huge, what happened? Yeah, it was, it was bigger than ever. We were surprised too. We didn't know that would happen. And it did. It was like, wow, we're bigger than we ever were. People were dying to see the band because there was so many videos floating around on, all over the internet. And people said, oh man, I want to see this band. I want to see this band. And that's what led to the whole, you know, the whole retro thing just came, became so popular again. I mean, they're still playing so many movies, still play all the 80s stuff. Right. And, and if you, go, you can go to the rainbow now, it looks like it looks like 1985 when you walk in there. Well, it's it, it's like a whole generation that didn't live through it now get to go to would get to go to those concerts that they didn't get to right right so yeah they grew up listening to that music um Who knew? Who so knew? what what uh what took you guys down why did you guys break up again we didn't break up we just decided to stop touring okay we did, 2016 was 
we're, we're still a band. It's still a business. We still, you know, do things, but we're just not touring. You know, I see. We're just not a touring. Band. I mean, D's out on his own doing stuff, um, which is good for him. You know, I, I'm like, you know, we we did like 14 years in a row. You know, touring, touring, touring all over the world, and you know. Right. I forgot how many countries, like 25 countries. So, you know, we did it. And uh, we just said in 2016, we did the 40 or effort tour, you know? And that was on purpose. I mean, we could have kept touring, but we just decided to go out while things were still on top, headliners. Right. You know, not like, some bands are fortunate to just keep playing as things get worse and worse and play smaller and smaller places. And that's a drag, you know? We never dragged the name through the mud. We just figured when we got back together, it was worth it because there was, you know, the, uh, the need and the people wanted it and we were right. headlining. So it was, it was definitely worth it. And that's how we ended. You know, but we're, we never really broke up. We're just not touring. Do you think that, so you still, would you still do a gig? I don't think so. Why? I mean, I, I never say never, but if maybe for some charity or something, mm -hmm. but not like a tour. Right, right. You know, I don't think anybody's interested in going out on tour again. It's time to enjoy life a little bit instead of working forever, you know. So are you enjoying life? Yeah. Things are getting now that I can. Things are getting a little better. Unfortunately, you know the pandemic kind of. Especially when we moved here full time, everything shut down. It sucked. Yeah, yeah. And there's still a lot of places I haven't visited, gone to that I'm. Now I can finally start going out to these restaurants and places that I've been wanting to check out. You know, so. Right, you got there and you couldn't even check out your town. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, all right. So tell me, all right. So before we get to what you've been doing since then, what, uh, you got on chopped, how did this whole thing happen with, with, uh, twist with twisted hot sauce and with chopped, how did you get into the food business? And wait a minute, did I hear right? Do you have coffee now too? I, I do with, that's with Dave Elfson, but right now he's, he's kind of not doing it for a while. Okay. I'm not sure what happened. I'm going to look into it. But yeah, I, I did like a, an arrangement with him. And, you know, I picked out some different beans and stuff to, to, to make a certain blend. So, uh, but that's through Dave Elfson from Megadeth. That's his coffee company. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just have my own. It's called. Your own uh, label, yeah. Yeah. It's just a you know, twisted roast. Eddie OJ is twisted roast. Was it? Uh, was dark it? And, dark and twisted roast. Yeah. Dark and twisted. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would like that coffee. So how did you get into the into the hot sauce business? That was another thing. I just I had a friend that had a hot. He had a wing sauce out, and I kind of met him on the internet, and and I said, hey, you know, we became friends, and I started asking questions. I said, you know, I'd like to maybe do a hot sauce. I said, because I like to eat cherries for health reasons. And he says, well, you know, let's get together and do something. So we got together and did the cherry hot sauce. And then I just decided to 
put out a hot sauce. It was that simple. You know, he came down to one of the shows. We and then, you know, we send stuff back and forth, and we came up with the right recipe, and that's how that started. You know, I just wanted Great. to have. I, I've had, I've, I've had your hot sauce. That I can't do the eight. I can only do the the cherry. I can't do the peach one. That eight the is. The peach one is really hot. So once some, somebody actually on Amazon put that the peach wasn't even hot. I'm saying. Why don't you just take a blowtorch and put it in your mouth? You know? what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean it's not hot? It's like, it's, you know, it's a Carolina Reaper. That's one of the hottest pepper in the world right now. Oh, Jesus. Um, and so, and how did you get on Chopped? Because that's, that's quite, that's quite an accomplishment. Chopped is a huge show. Yeah. Well, they were doing a rock one with Lita Ford, um, Weasel Zappa, and uh, Kelly. Kelly Hansen, I think. He's with uh, Foreigners, singer. Mm -hmm. So you know, Danny, our tour manager, called me up and said, hey, do you want to be on Chopped? Because somebody canceled out. And he knew that I was into the hot, I had the hot sauce. And he knew, he says, you're into cooking, right? I said, yeah. And I had never watched Chopped. I had to watch a couple of shows before. You know, I wasn't really as prepared as some of the people that we're big fans of the show. Right. So it was kind of, it was difficult, but uh, that's how that came about. What did you make? What did you cook on Chopped? I made tacos. Well, not tacos. It was like a taco-ish, open taco-ish. But everybody made tacos. I didn't really make tacos. I made like an open face thing with uh -huh. chicken and, and, because you gotta use what they give you. Like, like a, what is that called? <laughs> Oh God, now I can't even think of what it's called. What is it called? The flat taco. It's got a name. The enchilada. No. Open You're taco. Spanish. What do you know? Uh, uh, I don't know. A I'm, I'm Puerto it's Rican. Like a, Puerto Ricans don't make tacos. Right. A tostada. <laughs> it's a tostada, right? Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so okay, so what 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 why did one taco win over another? What did you taste everybody else's stuff? No, I didn't taste everybody else's. There was um, there was some jam, and it, it ended up being a big joke. You have to use this jam; it was like a jelly. I used a little too much jam, oh. so I made a joke out of it. I said, "Well, I'm used to this jamming, not that jamming." <laughs> well, that, that, was it fun to do? Yeah, it was fun. It was it's hard. I mean, you know, we you have to go there at four o'clock. Get up at four o'clock in the morning. You meet in the hotel lobby. And you're you're there at five o'clock in the morning. Wow. You know, it's uh, a lot of back and forth. It's not easy. There's people don't realize this. Each person has four people with cameras in front of them, taking you know, following you around. It's a lot of camera guys. It's like an army of camera guys, right? You can't go through the front because they're there. Uh huh. People don't see that. Too uh, many cooks in the kitchen. Well, they were taking all the, but it's you know, it was definitely it was. Great. I mean, it was a great experience because I didn't realize what a big show it was. I and I had to learn how to do this in a day or two. I wish I would have had more wow. more about the show. So it was fun. It's fun to be on. So, so since the pandemic and when we weren't going out to restaurants and stuff, um, 
what 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 is some what what was like I was making soup. It seemed like the first four months of the pandemic, all I did was make soup. I was making soup all the time. What were you cooking? What what were you cooking during the pandemic? Just like normal stuff. I didn't I didn't cook one particular thing all the time. Do you have a specialty? Is there something that you are known for that you love to cook or not so much? Well, I I don't know. I, I, everything I make, I call it Eddie something. I don't know. So I, they're, they're all, I call it the Eddie O whatever, you know, Ed, the Eddie O pancake. I'm making pancakes, Eddie O pancakes. I just add my name to whatever it is, even though it's, you know, nothing. Do you cook Puerto Rican? Like my, I had a friend from Puerto Rico and she used to, it was a lot of rice, beans, refried uh, bananas, fried bananas, stuff like yeah. that. You do a lot of that. Yeah, that's always that's always around. We, are, we always do that, but um, some of the stuff is really hard to make. Like uh, you, you have to grind a lot of plantains and stuff. There's, you know, fried banana, like fried plantains and so stuff like that. That's always easy, you know. And rice and beans, obviously, you make some rice and beans. You know, they can't can't not have rice and beans. And 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 there was some great pork thing too that I don't know what it was, but it was great. But it's just pork. It's uh, they call it lechon, but it's pork. It's, you know, it's, people just make pork with chop it up different ways and with rice and beans. <laughs> That's and all. are you a, are you a fancy chopper and stuff? Do you like have? Skills? I can chop. I'm not. You know, I'm not super chopper, but yeah, I kind of know how to do a few little fancy things. Flipping, you know. I mean, it's funny because when 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 you do chopped everywhere you walk, chef coming through, chef coming through. It's like I was like, oh wow, I'm a chef. Nice, you got to be chef for a day, you know. Do you do most of the cooking at home, or no? Probably half and half. That's a good deal. I end up doing a, a lot more. I I just you know. Just easy for me. I just kind of do it. I don't think about it. Not so you ride in your bike. You're you're cooking. What else are you doing during this the end of this pandemic here? Well, just you know, trying to uh, stay sane. You know, just not let it get to you. I mean, there's so much TV now, and and as far as recording, you know, I have a home a little home studio. So I was recording with some people. You know, so I could send stuff to, you could do stuff and just send tracks. People could send you tracks. So now, because of technology, it didn't stop anybody from doing making records, right? Because you can still do everything uh, through the internet. So, what kind of music excites you now? It does, does. Are you still playing hard rock? What What are you playing? Well, I like everything. I don't just like. Uh, I'm very open minded when it comes to music. But some of the stuff I've played on is, you know, a lot of rock people. It's it's rock. You know, I get offers from people in the rock business or playing rock music. You know, I mean, I could, I wouldn't mind doing stuff, middle of the road stuff with anybody. But once you're in a hard rock band, that's what people expect from you. And that's what people ask you to do. Right. So it's, if they want that, they ask me to do it. So, very important question. What are you binging? What, what, so, during, what have you found? Uh, what do you love? What have you loved? Or what are you loving now? 
Well, I definitely binged Game of Thrones. I've never seen an episode. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Surprise. Oh, you, can, you can start binging now. It's a good, it's a good plan. It's a good thought. What else? Um, just a bunch of shows on Netflix. I can't even remember the name. Did you ever watch The Fall? Something on wheels, huh? Did you ever watch The Fall with Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dorden? I it's my number one recommendation. The best series. Three seasons. If you like, it's dark. It's the Fall. The Fall. No, I didn't watch that. I watched um check it out. You know, Shits Creek, what else? Yeah. Uh, strange things. It's funny, I watched Strange Things and I was telling people about it and then it kind of blew up. It became this whole big... Uh, huge. Huge thing. You watch kids. something right now? Huh? Are you watching something now? You know, I've been watching like Sanford and Son lately. <laughs> no shit. It's, it's on the stars. I have stars. Uh -huh. They have the Jeffersons and Sanford and Son. And I always liked those shows. It was so, it's so funny because they say a lot of things that they couldn't say now. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of things that people were so uptight then, you know, that you could make jokes, especially if you're making jokes about your own kind. You know, it's, you can't give people shit for that. Well, Norman so, here has big balls and Norman did things. Those are his shows. And yeah, I mean, uh, all in the family. But since, you know, Jefferson's are, and Sanford, I think Red Fox was incredible. So there's so many shows I didn't see. Right. And they did a lot of shows. I mean, yeah. I think it was every, something like there's so many shows in one season. So it's fun to watch, even though it's old, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's still a lot of funny stuff. Uh, with those, those sitcoms were pretty classic. They so are. I've been watching that lately because it's just easy. Or sometimes at night, if I want to fall asleep, I'll watch some documentaries. Documentaries will do it. See, they got some guy with a nice a really good voice. one called 1971. Have you seen it? No. It's no. on Apple TV and it's all about, uh, mostly about the music from 1971. It's really oh, I gotta good. check it out. It's like five parts. It's really good. Really good. Maybe more. Yeah. Good. There's yeah. another one on called Pop. This is Pop. I don't know is, about that. It's just, it's, I think it's new. It's pretty interesting about the whole pop world. And, you know, a lot of songs that were written in a lot of Swedish, a lot of hit songwriters, were, a lot of people went to Sweden to work with these hit songwriters. These guys wrote songs for everybody in this little studio. It's a pretty amazing thing to watch. I never knew that so many hit songs were written in, Sweden. I thought oh, you'd, be, you'd be shocked to find out the songs that were written in Sweden. Well, last week Steve Conti was on, and Steve uh, is is in uh, with Michael Monroe, and he's Swedish, and they do a lot of touring over there. And that yeah, they're, they're humble over there; they don't brag about. They're not like Americans with <laughs> brag. You know, they fart and brag about it. <laughs> you know, over there they don't brag; they just do it. They just do it. So well, yeah, I, yeah, I did have 10, yeah, I did have 10, 10 number one singles. They're like, <laughs> yeah, it happens, you know. <laughs> They're just cool about it. They're not like, hey, I wrote 10, I'm the man. That's... Yeah. People well, could, 
some people here could learn some, a few lessons from the Swedish people about just being a little humble, you know. But, so are you enjoying, uh, now that you're getting to experience Nashville, are you happy you made them? I mean, aside from your grandchild and your son being there, are you, are you? Oh yeah, I really, I really, I love it here. I don't miss New York at all. Right. New York is just getting, is so overpriced. And, I mean, right now I have to build, half the apartments in Manhattan are empty. I know, that's what I hear. Yeah, I, it's just, it's gotten, the prices have gotten so ridiculous. People are selling, trying to sell stuff for half the price they pay for it. Wow. And out here, it's a total seller's market. The houses are going for twice as much as they were listed for in 2020. Oh, same thing in New York. Everything blew up. Yeah. Everything was like $100,000, depending on what level it is. Mm -hmm. Like a $400,000 house is now five hundred. dollars Oh, no. Know? Here... They went from one mil, like if they were like less than a million, now they're selling for two and a half million and shit like that. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. Well, there was always a bit of a better deal in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. New York just really outpriced itself. It's just, I, I, and I saw it happening, you know, some of these real estate jobs. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Even if you own the apartment, the maintenance that you're going to pay and the, the taxes you're going to pay are still ridiculous, you know, like. And that's just for like a regular two bedroom apartment. So I'm, I don't even know how people can afford to live there, you know, because you have to really be rich. And like, what about all the jobs that, you know, the maintenance jobs, if people like can't afford to live there, they, or they have to live so far to, that they have to commute into the city and try to pay for parking or do whatever. And then that's another thing, like, to take a train into the city from where I used to live, it's just expensive. It was like $14 each way, you know, to take this, the train. So if somebody has to work in the city and they're not making like six figures, that's Kills it's you. even hard, it's, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's tough there. It's tough mm -hmm. there right now. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, and a lot of the people in the city are moving. So everything up in the suburbs is blowing up. That's what's happening. So people are one. Everybody wants to move out of Manhattan because it's just gotten so expensive. My mother said it's also really depressing. She lives in the um in uh in the eighties yeah, on Broadway, and it's. Yeah, I, she said like all the stores are closing down, and it's just really depressing there. I heard it's like uh, yeah, I went. I was at that apartment. That's where we did the interview. That's right. That's house. right. You got my mother's. Yeah. That's right. So. No. So, have you traveled yet anywhere? Just for my daughter's wedding, I went to LA. And how was it getting on a plane and doing all of that? Was it unnerving, or were you okay? Yeah, it was definitely unnerving. You know, nobody, everybody was wearing masks, but they didn't like. There was no distancing. They sold every seat. Oh. You know, and on the way back, there was this asshole in front of us with his feet up on the thing. It was like. You know, and we were in business class too. And I'm like, you know, usually people that pay a little more for the tickets don't behave like that. Right. Know? And now I hear all kinds of like plane rage, whatever. People are getting stupid on airplanes now. Really? What, what, what's plane? I haven't heard about plane rage. What's going on? It's, it's something they call it air raid or rage. Just people are just losing their minds. They, 
the whole mask thing. Some people don't want to wear a mask. And if on a plane, you still have to wear a mask, just like when you go into a hospital. Right. You know? Right. Well, I hope they keep that up. I, you know, I think wearing a plane on a mask is a good idea, even when there isn't a pandemic, because everybody gets sick on yeah, a plane. Yeah, a plane is like what? Yeah, it's crazy. You're stuck in a tube for so many hours. You know, a plane is, I think you should always wear a mask on a plane, to be honest with you. I know, I think I probably will. So do you have plans to see your daughter again? We, are you guys gonna? I'm gonna see her in, uh, next month in Las Vegas, going for, to Las Vegas for a week. Nice. Which, you know, I'm still not crazy about flying, but you know, it's a long drive, so. It is a long I'd rather drive, drive somewhere than, than uh, that's what I look for, like places I can drive to in three hours. I don't wanna go on planes. I, you know, I've been on so many planes that I actually hate being on a plane. Like, people still get excited, I'm going on a plane. I'm like, I don't give a shit about going on a plane. Yeah, I really especially couldn't like care. Now. Especially now. Yeah. I mean. Well, Eddie, I'm, it was so great to see you. I, I've, I've, we met in like, I think it was like 1987. It's a long time ago that we met. Yeah, a long time ago. Just instant, uh, just instant friends, and it's just always through the years. You've just always shown up for me and been wonderful, and I adore you. And it's wonderful you, to see you. your face. You look fantastic. You really do. You look amazing. Thanks. I, I, you know, the, the years are adding up, but I, I try to, you know, stay active and, uh, you know, eat right. So wait, you didn't like gain that. COVID ten, or the you didn't gain weight over the pandemic. You stayed. Oh yeah, I definitely gained the the, the quarantine fifteen. Yeah. yeah, I lost it though. How'd you lose it? Because losing weight now is so hard at this age. I just I just like been really watching what I ate, and now I'm more active, so I'm going out a lot more. So that's how I did it. I just you know, I just I've always been like that. If I I, I weigh myself like every day, so me too. I do it. People don't. Because a lot of people say, I said, when was the last time you weighed yourself? Oh, a year ago. I said, if you, you, know, if you don't weigh yourself, that's, that's not going to lie to you. Don't ask your friend, oh, you look the same to me. Like, no, don't, <laughs> you, you know when you're fat, you know, just like. Yes. You know, and if you don't weigh yourself, you're never, you, know, you can easily gain 15 pounds in, a, in a two months without even realizing it, you know. I have I'm wearing sweatpants and stuff around the house. You know? It stinks. I I find losing weight. I think I think it's easier for men. Losing weight as a middle-aged woman is a nightmare from hell. It's always been easy, a little easier for men. I um, think so. For whatever reason, but you know, you still got to watch. You got to watch what you eat. You know, eat a lot. Oh, I'm, less. I'm I eat a lot less now. Huh? I'm watching it. I'm working out, and it's coming off so slowly. Uh, it used to come off. I'm glad I was able to lose it relatively quickly. Uh, Good for you. So I'm on that path. But yeah, it was like about 15 pounds. I was like, damn. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. It kind of sucked. But, uh, you know, so now I'm bike riding a little more and doing more stuff. So it's uh, and eating. That's, that's the whole thing. Diet is everything. Can't, it's not just exercise. If you don't eat right, it's not going to come off. 
Do you not eat it? Not, do you not snack at night? Because I find that's the, the biggest killer is eating late at night and snacking. Yeah, I try not to eat like, you know, I try to eat like our main meal in the middle of the day and then something light at night. Which some, they do that in some countries because then you have more time to burn it. Yeah. And just resist. You know, there's times I'm in bed and I feel like getting up and making something, but I just say, you know, I'll take another melatonin and <laughs> like a gu melatonin gummy and say, that, okay, that's, oh, that's delicious. And you fall asleep. <laughs> Okay, I'll have to get some melatonin. Melatonin gummies at night is a, I recommend very highly. I have a thing called brush your teeth. Dream water. It comes. It comes in a packet. It has sugar in it, but you you. It's like Licamade. Remember Licamade when we were kids? So it's this stuff called. No, Dream I never heard of that. Really? You uh, used to. It was no. like the colored sticks, pixie sticks, and they had like sugar. All oh, those things. Yeah. Yeah. So Dream Water that is like sure. that. And it's kind of in sugar, and then you and it's got melatonin, and you take one of those, and you're asleep in 15 minutes. Out. Yeah, I have, I have the melatonin gummies I take. Gummy, I, li I like the idea of the gummies. And that's good for night, you know, because it if you get a, everybody gets a little hungry of at night, you get that little. But that's the worst time. So at least the gummies do it too. You get a little bit of something to eat, and it helps you sleep. So I like it. I'll be looking for them. Well, anyway, Eddie, thank you so much, and yeah. I, I want I want to see pictures of that grandbaby. And uh, okay, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you something. Thank you so much for doing this. Great. My to pleasure. See you. Anytime. Take care. Bye, bye, everybody. Okay.